welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Each week, our hosts will be interviewing local, regional, and national business leaders to give you an inside peek into how they lead their business to success in the ever-competitive business climate. Welcome to Monday Morning Coffee with Inside the Firm. Today, I have a very special guest. In fact, he is called the Zen Master to Digital Marketers by Forbes. Brian Kramer is a renowned business strategist, global keynote speaker, executive trainer, and coach, investor, two-time best-selling author, including a top 150 U.S. best-selling book and Forbes contributor. Brian also created a global movement and is known for his keynotes, book, and talks on Quote, there is no B2B or B2C, it's human to human, H2H. He is the CEO of H2H Companies, an executive coaching company and co-owner of Pure Matter, a Silicon Valley marketing agency founded in 2001, which earned a spot as one of the fastest growing companies three years in a row by Silicon Valley Business Journal. Brian, welcome to the show. Thank you. Wow. What an introduction. I I. I feel I feel honored to be here. Thank you. <laughs> I just love that you're the Zen master. Uh, Brian, before we get into what you do now, tell us tell us how you got here. I'm always curious about the entrepreneurial journey. I think we're special creatures. Did you come from a family of entrepreneurs? Are you the first? Where does that spirit come from? Yeah. So, I mean, my, yeah, yes is the answer. I come from a family of entrepreneurs uh, uh, in a roundabout way. My, my, my grandfather was an entrepreneur his grandfather and so on and so forth. My dad, you might say, is an entrepreneur, although he uh, was a physician, retired now, and but ran his own practice. And so uh, I guess you could you could call that entrepreneurialism. And so um, yeah, I knew from a very early age, almost since I can remember, that I was going to be um, not working for a company eventually um, and running my own my own business. And so that was always the goal. Um, and and it made it happen one day. So, you know, it was it was finally, you know, just looked at, at myself in the mirror and said, today's the day. So uh, in 2001, we started our agency and um, and and never looked back. Yeah. 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 I love it. I love it. Uh, your your work is centered around the concept of human to human communication. Right. Which is I should unpack for the audience just in case they don't know B2B, B2B and B2C. So be, those acronyms are, you know, business to business versus business to consumer. But you're here, one of your sticks is, and, and the phrase that you've come up with is human to human communication. Can you explain what H2H then means to you and then why you think it's so critical in today's ever increasing digital business landscape? Totally. Yeah. So when it, when I first, uh, when it first went public, it went viral in 2014 uh, at, at a keynote that I was giving, um, not that I wasn't talking about it before, but I was in the right place at the right time, uh, at, in my hundredth time of talking about it, I would talk to a, a wall if they would listen at the time. And, um, the, the right audience at, at Bloomberg, uh, Bloomberg's building in San Francisco. And, and it was a room full of marketers and I had, uh, a lot going on at that time, meaning, uh, social media was just getting, started it was just ramping up into what we now call table stakes um a lot of companies at the time were not used to um people talking back to them so it was radio tv and newspaper and people can't talk back on those those yeah people. so uh now all of a sudden enter, enter social media digital marketing and all kinds of other things where the customer had a voice 
And that's when Human to Human was born, really. I mean, it was born a long time ago when, with a, a door-to-door salesman and mm-hmm. went to go to buy a car and other things. It's just that on the global scale, the geofences were torn down and all of a sudden everybody had a voice. Um, if my pizza was not uh, delivered in the right way, I could go on to Twitter or whatever it is now, X, and say, um, uh, you know, I'm unhappy. And now all of a sudden the brand had to work with that and deal with it. Now here we are years later um, and it's a totally uh, the, the same animal, but different different beast because now we're dealing with AI and we're dealing with um, automation and virtual reality and augmented reality and soon to be uh, different uh, uh, modalities uh, with what Apple's bringing out. So, you know, will the question is what's, what's that gonna do to humanity in our interactions and our friendships and our relationships? And I still think that it's going to come down to relationship um, at the end of the day. And it's going to come down to one human buying something from another human. That's that, that's what we will uh, will always gravitate towards. Um, so, so that's really what it's about is um, at the end of the day, um, creating a human-to-human relationship, uh, whether it's long tail, short tail, uh, and whatever modality we use to sell through um, it's going to uh, bring us back to the core, to the center of being uh, human age to age. Well, so I want to talk about also just to dig in a little bit further on that. I, I don't know if you're a watcher, if you are familiar with the, the South Park episode where they talk about all the Yelp reviews. Uh, so on that note of now everybody being able to have a voice, it seems like for a period, we actually swung too far over to you know, one area where it's like businesses in some cases were undeservedly getting destroyed with online, their online reputation. So um, I'm just curious about your overall thoughts about that and and where you see us, where we're at in the timeline of that. I know as somebody who's Google business listings extensively for my businesses, they've put in some safety measures now to where you, you can't get sort of, uh, the, the they're not mob proof entirely, but definitely they make it so the mob can't come after you. What what are your thoughts about that trend? You know, I had uh, a lot of people come after me in uh, just that first start statement of there's no, in the words, there's no B2B or B2C. And, um, and, and it was 50-50, but uh, in terms of people that were responding to it. And so... The book was the response to it. Um, I quickly wrote a book after that happened. Um, and you know the the idea of people coming after you, and I think we're we're speaking towards brands or businesses, um, uh, which is that you have to uh, uh, almost treat them in a way that is going to de-escalate, de-escalate the uh, the situation every time. Um, by first, you know, listening. Um, it's you know, you you want to treat it almost like a, like an HH relationship. So, uh, listening to what they have to say, um, responding, uh, not reacting, responding mm-hmm. uh, to what they said, and then um, and then enhancing, creating some a, a solution uh, that's good for both parties. Um, doing that publicly is um is a hard skill to do and yeah. i recommend that everybody get around the table and practice it uh you know figure out 
um, if this, then this, if this, then this, practice the if this, then this, um, in so many situations that much like firefighting, they know what to do in every situation when they get into it, because they've been, they've practiced it almost like a muscle. They know how to respond to different types of fires. We got to do the same thing when people are reacting it with pitchforks on, um, on, on social media or on, on the internet. How are we going to respond, not react to every situation? And, um, and that means uh, dialing in uh, that response so that it makes sense for both parties. And it really, you know, it's not a hundred percent. Some people are actually just wrong. Um, yeah, <laughs> and, I agree. And, well, you know, I'm not saying that everybody's going to have, uh, you know, a, a kumbaya moment. Um, but uh, can we put our best brand moment forward and be as human as possible so that we come, we, we really shine in the moment so that it look, it really appears as if, and looks as if, and it really is our, our, um, we're being our best brand self, if you will. Yeah. Great answer. I, uh, it's just a new frontier that we have to be aware of and, and try to tackle all that. I just had a, another gentleman on the show a couple of weeks ago and he, he was actually, he, I like to think of everything as a, a dichotomy and a do double-edged sword. There's positives and negatives to everything. That's just how the universe works. You couldn't have electricity, but you have positive and negatives. And he was talking about, you know, when you get those kind of reviews, you can actually boost your, your Google business ranking or Yelp rating or anything like that. Like if you, if you reply in the right way with the right keywords, and all of that. I, I think as a bit from a business owner standpoint, you brought up uh, my, one of my conclusions was, which I'm not sure anybody, maybe until finally we hit this digital age was able to say is like the customer is actually not always right. Like that, 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 that idea was, I think when we were in the B2B and B2C, sure. Right. But now we're not in this closed loop anymore in that sort of way. Um, has anybody ever approached you? I've always had this idea. I'm just curious to pick your brain here. Has anybody ever approached you of trying to do the opposite? Where there's, um, since you're in Silicon Valley there, where there's like a, a website that you can review customers instead, sort of, sort of the opposite way. And so that business owners who then have potential customers coming to them can do a check on those guys and see if they want to dip their toes in there. Yeah, you know, I, I think brands do a poor job of, of um, doing that. In fact, uh, not just customers, but also partners and vendors. Um, I think this uh, this uh, applies across the board, and, and 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 let's take the approach of of living in the the gain versus the gap. So, uh, living in the gain, um, how can we reward the customers for being good customers so that everybody wants to be a good customer? How can we reward contractors and freelancers and partners and um, and all those people for being good? stewards of the brand so that everybody knows what the culture is like here. You don't see it very often where um, they celebrate the, the why behind the success of a good partnership or, or a good partnership between a customer and a, and a, and a client. Mm -hmm. A good example is, um, you know, uh, Lady Gaga years ago um, celebrated her little monsters by opening up a, a top 1% uh, micro community site and encourage them to come on and um, create art for, uh, for the little monster brand. And she rewarded them by then selling that art and giving the pro cutting the proceeds or splitting the proceeds with the artist and, and then creating the brand from there, you know, rewarding the top 1% or the top 10% um, allows you to then um 
scale the brand much easier than having to take it on in a one-way direction. So there's a great H2H case study of how, you know, and yes, that, that would be considered consumer, but it can be done on any level with any partner and any freelancer to where, you know, when it does come time and somebody does say something that tilts the, the, the hate or the, the customer's not always right, you know, what if you had 10 customers behind that that actually stood up for you and you didn't really have to because you treated them all very well? Um, that's the kind of brand that that I think people want to stand behind is the one that 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 um, has a mutual uh, relationship with with all of their customers in or with with their top one percent and top 10 percent of their customers that's going to help escalate the relationships further. So that's what I would do as an approach if 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 it were me. Yeah, that makes sense. I, exactly. I just think it's it ends up being a two way street, sort of a give and take. And really, in the end, it's 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 made for better businesses overall because I think now all of a sudden there isn't this closed loop. Uh, you're also you also gave a TED talk uh, a couple years ago, and it was a TED first, as I understand, um, because you had you allowed mobile devices. Can you share more about that, the significance of that gesture, and then sort of how it aligns with uh, your belief in um, the power of small inspirational shares? Yeah, I almost tanked my TED Talk in two ways. Uh, <laughs> one, one, just by suggesting that we bring mobile phones into the auditorium because it was never done before. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, Chris, the CEO of TED at the time, had to approve it uh, because they didn't want people tweeting or uh, sharing social in, from inside the auditorium. And so they had always eliminated mobile phones and until you got out into the, the lobby. Um, however, my my TED talk was built on the premise that that um, we can all make a difference uh, by by sharing, and so um, I was proving that um, that sharing uh, one thing that inspires each of us could make a difference. It's with with one other one or more other people in the world, and I could prove how we could uh, show and display that people. Uh, 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 where they connected that that empowerment um, using data, and the only way that I could pr prove that was if we had mobile phones and data inside the auditorium, and they went for it. Only idea and my only suggestion because I believed in it so much, and had they said no, I wouldn't have given a TED talk. Um, number two is that um, is that we then uh, uh, actually had them share the hashtag sharing inspires. And they had to share one thing that uh, they that inspired them. Now we got some funny responses. We got like somebody that said, uh, "If you push p the pizza button on a microwave, I just want a pizza to come out automatically." Um, but we also had some really empowering things, um, you know, like people trying to solve for crimes in Af Africa and. Mm -hmm. Uh, trying to solve for still slavery around the world and and people that were trying to um you know sh share about how they could de-escalate war in certain countries and, and it was just really empowering and moving um and I didn't ex know what to expect until we did it which was the the hard part I had no clue if this thing was going to even work and at the end of the day when I got back up and we collected the data we showed 23 million uh uh impressions from everyone's global shares and then showed all the data points the visualization of how each person that had shared something actually reached and uh and and moved around the world so we could actually create um you know visual impact on how everybody's ideas had 
Um, and, and through doing that, we could prove too that anybody can impact another person. Um, and to and and so we all have the power to share. So that that was really moving. The the ironic part too is when I got up on stage, I had no idea what the actual results were. I literally took the first step getting up on stage when they handed me the card to say, okay, the data is finally in. Here's the results. So I read it to the audience the same time that I was actually reading it for myself and blew myself away because I thought I was gonna get there, get up there and read. Well, time to go home. Thanks for coming. <laughs> So it, it was a really neat uh, experience and, and not something that I think I'll ever do again. Yeah, well, you did it and you told us about it. And I really appreciate that insight. Thank you for being unique. I just love unique stories like that. Um, and I don't know how it could inspire somebody else, but it sounds like it was a, a very interesting. Uh, I had to ask you about it. Uh, tell us more a little bit about the H2H, this movement that you've created. Um, I would love to dive a little bit deeper into it and exactly how, how, how does it work? What kind of tools are you giving people to try to get them to, you know, do something that seems like it's beneficial for both parties in a much more symbiotic way than what we had previously? Uh, yeah, so I can, I'll break it down based upon the three pillars that I write in the book, and then it escalates into, um, coaching and consulting, which is a whole different platform. But the yep. uh, the idea behind HH that everyone can install um, right now is based on the the first pillar, which is simplicity. Hmm. Uh, simplicity of of everything that we um, we do. We tend to make things over complex. So do you do you have a brand that you think embraces simplicity that you love? Apple. Boom. So there you go. Apple is uh, notorious for, for um, and hopefully by tomorrow with their launch of their new products, we'll have a whole slew of new products that are understood for exactly what they do because mm -hmm. they are a simplistic brand. That's what they are. Um, and the next one is empathy. Um, what brand do you think embraces empathy? Meaning maybe they're good at customer service or they're good at understanding their customer or they're good at communicating um, do you have a favorite one there? I think Zappos did it really well with shoes right away. Totally. Absolutely. Zappos was great at understanding and sharing the care of the customer. Yep. Um, and so, you know, I also think that Amazon is a good one too, because they uh, have a, a, a return policy that's almost understood globally that mm -hmm. if you have a problem, you can return it right away. That's, I don't know how, that's magic to me. Isn't it crazy for a giant corporation that gets so much hate? It's like, well... Again, double-edged sword, like it is what it yeah. is. The customer service is actually pretty darn good, even though you don't have to talk to anybody for returns. It's why they're not going to tank anytime soon, because yeah. I trust the brand knowing that I can buy the product. And if I'm not satisfied, I can return the product. That to me is empathy. Um, and the last one is imperfection. So we don't, and this is why I think AI is having causing a lot of uh, friction right now, because it scares the living uh, hell out of everybody that it's going to create perfection. And we are a society that loves to live in imperfection. Mm -hmm. When we there's perfection, we don't think that it's real. We think it's fake. So what brand do you think embraces their imperfection? Um, and by imperfection, it could be uh, celebrating that they did something wrong and just owning it. Or it could be uh, knowing that, you know, hey, this is just who we are, love us or not, but this is who we are. Boy, that one I don't have an answer for. So I'm going to have to, yeah, I'm sure you have an answer for that. Go. What, what? I have a lot of answers um, just because I've been talking about it for yeah. a while. I'll, I'll throw up maybe Dove as, as a, they oh, interesting. the imperfection of skin. 
um, uh, is a good is you know and and also uh, you know uh, Red Cross might be mm. another one um, you know the imperfection in that happens in war that they're there there to help solve you can look at nonprofits around the world and you could look at uh, the airline industry uh, I don't think that there's an airline that has perfection <laughs> now which airline. Uh, embraces the imperfection best is the one that we actually glean to and says, hey, we're sorry this happened. This is this is what we're going to do about it. So when we embrace imperfection, we tend to love the brand more, uh, not less. And so when, when you combine all three of those, simplicity, empathy, and imperfection, it's the same exact thing that we love about people that we have good friends or good re re relationships with that we love about brands, but we don't tend to look at it that way. We tend to look at who's marketing, who's brand, who's, um, who's sales, who's, who's actual business functions are working. Um, but yet we, we love them for the human brand that they almost are. And so that changes the game when we actually start to look at it that way. I love those three pillars. Yeah. A hundred percent. Uh, so you've spoken that you're also a speaker. You've spoken at numerous global company, uh, companies, institutions, people, places like NASA, Harvard university. Can you, can you share just one anecdote or, or key takeaway from, from maybe your most memorable speaking engagement aside from Ted? Memorable speaking engagement. Um, I would say, I think that, I don't know. That's a hard one. I, I used to <laughs> yeah. speak or travel 200 days a year speaking um i've spoken at a lot of places so i i mean i you know i showed up at a conference in colombia that really made an impact on me and it's because they took my brand and uh of hdh and they actually crafted an experience for me mm. um i showed up in this uh suite at the hotel and the artwork on the walls were all custom made into H to, with H to H and they had it illustrated into the artwork on the walls inside the hotel room. Uh, and then I opened um, uh, the, the fridge and all the, the uh, Coke cans and all the um, uh, food had little flags in them, um, like inside the cheese and everything that had little H to H flags. And then they put the H to H a wrapper around the soda and and they made everything kind of like almost it was a it was it was borderline creepy but it, it wasn't <laughs> it, didn't, it didn't go overboard it was actually kind of cute the way that they did it um and so i think that um you know every and that that stands for every step of the experience um as i was there i mean they had me uh, meet with people, but they they let people understand what HTH was really about. And I saw that they didn't just do this for me. They did this for every single speaker. So they took the speaker's brand and they incorporated it into the experience of what that speaker was facing throughout the conference. And, um, and I hadn't seen a conference do that before. Usually it's the opposite way. It's how can the speaker create something for the audience, not how can the, how can the conference create something for the speaker. Uh, that left an impression for me that made me want to shout them from the, the rooftops. So uh, I'd say that was probably one of the, probably not the answer you were looking for, but it certainly left a mark on me. Yeah. 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 And I guess you, you did touch on it, like how it made you feel, but how did it make you feel knowing that then you then had to give a, a speech and you were speaking? I mean, did it, did it make you raise your bar? Um, you know, I try to think that, that um, or I tend to think that I, I raise my bar no matter where I go, but it's it gave me a sense of belonging mm -hmm. that I was speaking already to an audience that knew and understand understood me. Like we already had this relationship, and I didn't have to earn it from the get go. 
So that's what changed for me is I really, I really thought that this was already home and it made me feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm, I can start from, uh, uh, from this relationship we already have. And that made it a little bit more comfortable, if you will. Yeah. Yeah. I bet it did. I love that kind of touch. I, it's interesting. It was borderline creepy, but I, somehow they managed to not cross that line, you know, overall, I would have been personally flattered too, if there was F9 all over the place. So very cool story. Uh, as we both know, you know, we were literally on a, in a digital landscape right now on this podcast, it's on YouTube and, and all the other places. Um, so it's just going to get more digital, especially with the rise of AI. What advice would you then have for businesses, people that are in marketing to try to stay relevant, um, and connect with their audiences on a more human level as we just become more digital? Yeah. You know, the thing that I think is going to be more uh, important now is is that we do things that are um, unexpected. Hmm. Um, the unexpected is what's going to keep things human because robots can't do unexpected. They do consistent. Yeah. Um, and so when you think of the the old adage of surprise and delight, it hasn't gone away. In fact, I think it's going to get, it's going to become even more important now than ever, because we're starting, we, we have, we have, we have overshot the mark when it comes to automation. I mean, if mm. there's a marketing sequence that's to be done, it's been done. And so we're all used to it. And we've all, we all know how to hit that unsubscribe button pretty easily now at this point. Yeah. And, and if you want to not have those unsubscribes, you've got to do something that's more out of um, out of the ordinary, which means surprising and delighting. Um, doing something that is over the over the top that somebody really just appreciates because you you hyper personalized it. You you went the distance again without being uh, creepy. Uh, so again, that whole idea of of walking into you know your into a conference and having H to H, uh, you know, having me see all that stuff and having it wrapped that to me is kind of at the level of what, where we need to live. If we want to celebrate the, you know, the, the people that are doing it right for our, for our customers and, and for our brands um, and internally as well. Yeah. So I think it's going to become more critical. Yeah. It's uh, it's interesting. You, the first, that first pillar you talked about was simple and my my simple surprise that I've been doing uh, for the past couple of years now is that I'm just making made a concerted effort to I'm just picking up the phone and giving that customer a call, um, and I it's that's why you know it's it's like a keep it simple stupid right the kiss acronym and everything is like uh, you would be surprised maybe maybe you wouldn't Brian but other people about how how surprised other people are where they're just like oh thanks for calling I couldn't get a call I mean it's just like I I think recognizing the forest we're in, right? And not not missing it for the trees and the fact that I, I think most people are, are we we become too reliant like on on the digital landscape, like you said. So really just maybe a refocus back to some just some basic fundamentals that have never been really lost in the whole in the whole mix. Amen. Amen. Yeah. I can't argue with anything about that. Yeah. We're running up on the half hour here, Brian. I love your, your insights have been fantastic. I'm so glad I had you on the show now. Uh, and uh, there's two questions that I ask everybody at, at the end of our interview. And the first one is knowing what you know now, and if you can go back in time to when you first started your business in 2001, what is one piece of advice you give your former self? Don't use credit cards. That simple. I love it. All right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. Don't go into debt. That's number one. Brian, uh, great. Where, where that's can... what I would say. Yeah. I, I think uh, that that's 
like I use credit cards and I used them to the mm. extent that I could. And it really was, uh, you know, what a lot of, I think a lot of entrepreneurs do that. So, um, you know, go, go out, get that small business loan or do, do what you need, follow the business process, think it through. Um, you know, thank God my gamble worked out, but it doesn't work out for everybody. And, and I would say, do be smart in the way that you start your business. hundred percent. Brian, if people want to learn more about you, what you do, pick up one of the books, where, where can they find and follow you? I'm real easy. Brian Kramer.com. Brian with a Y Kramer with a K and at Brian Kramer, uh, everywhere on social media. Beautiful. Thanks so much for your time today, Brian. We really appreciate it. Wish you uh, nothing but success in, in the future and all your uh, future speaking engagements and everything else you do. Uh, thank you so much. I really appreciate it, Lance.